If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to Montana Murder Mysteries, brought to you by ABC Fox Montana. We'll take you inside unsolved homicide cases under the big sky and learn where the investigations stand today. I'm Blake Simonson, a reporter and producer at ABC Fox Montana. And I'm Kate Whittle, reporter and digital producer also at ABC Fox Montana. This week, we're learning more about the case of Dexter Stefanik, a Wisconsin man who disappeared at a remote rest stop in eastern Montana in 1985. The cold case was recently reopened, and investigators still believe that someone out there knows who killed Dexter. We'll also talk about the facts and theories surrounding this case, which include bizarre graffiti, sex trysts gone wrong, jealous ex-husbands, and convicted murderers. This week, I spoke with Dawson County Sheriff Ross Kanan as he walks me through the unsolved murder case of a man who disappeared on a road trip through Montana in the 1980s. Dexter Stefanik was a 67-year-old retired paper mill worker from Rhinelander, Wisconsin. His wife of 44 years, Vivian, died in 1984. On November 18, 1985, Dexter was traveling home from visiting his son in Oregon. His wife had died the year before, and Dexter frequently made the 2,000-mile solo drive from Oregon to Wisconsin as quickly as possible. It seems that he was pretty anxious to get the drive over with. Now, we found a picture of Dexter and Vivian online back when uh, Vivian was alive. Uh, it shows a friendly-looking, very Midwestern couple. Uh, they're both wearing very big square glasses. And you can see Vivian wearing a floral blazer and Dexter wearing a shiny button-up polyester shirt and he has short, curly, chestnut brown hair. Now, it takes about 30 hours to drive from Corbett, Oregon to Rhinelander, Wisconsin, according to Google Maps. Glendive is about the halfway point of the drive to Wisconsin, which may be why he chose to stop there. Glendive is in a beautiful and desolate area on this part of the drive. Dexter would have been taking in views of the Yellowstone River and prepare to watch the wild, jagged rocks of the Badlands roll by. It's at least a 16-hour drive from Corbett, Oregon to Glendive, which sounds like a long, exhausting day of driving. But Dexter had told his son he was fine with just sleeping in the back of his Plymouth Risen at a rest stop rather than get a hotel. But Dexter would never make it past the rest stop. On November 19, 1985, Dexter's car was found burning in the parking lot of the Bad Route rest stop. Now, Blake, I think one of the reasons this particular killing has really captured people's imaginations over the years is the fact that this guy died on a road trip at a place literally called Bad Route. Um, now, as far as I know, it's named after a nearby road and creek, uh, and I do think the Bad Route rest stop uh, is still there in Glendive. But now, Blake, so back to 1985, uh, did they find Dexter's body in the burning car? So actually, when fire crews were finally able to get the car extinguished, they didn't find anyone inside. 
but they did find that someone had deliberately set it on fire by dousing it in gasoline. The driver's seat had been pushed back to accommodate a driver over six feet tall. Now, Dexter was a fairly short guy and he stood at only five feet six inches tall, so it's unlikely he was the last person to have driven the car. The custodian of the rest stop says he saw a white Chevrolet pickup with Arizona plates parked at the gas station the morning of the fire. He told investigators that he remembers seeing a six-foot-tall man pull up to the station driving the Plymouth. This mystery driver then got out of the car to grab two plastic gas jugs and told the rest stop custodian that he had run out of gas. At the time, it probably didn't seem that weird. But the Plymouth was found on fire later that morning, and the white Chevrolet pickup was nowhere to be found. So just to recap, we're out here at this rest stop called Bad Route. It's the late 1980s, it's cold out, and we have found Dexter's car on fire, and we've seen a white Chevy pickup in the area that may have been driven by the suspect. But at this point, no one had any idea what had happened to Dexter. Right, it wasn't until four months later that Dexter's body was discovered at a local landfill. It appeared he had been beaten and shot in the head. His body was partially hidden under a mattress with cash still in his suitcase and wallet. This helped law enforcement rule out a robbery as motive. Now, Blake, you just talked to the current sheriff of Dawson County about where the investigation stands today since this cold case was reopened in 2012. Now, it sounds like we have several theories as to what happened. Sheriff Ross Kanan says he believes this was a stranger-on-stranger crime which is statistically one of the most difficult types of crime to solve. Kanan says at the time, they didn't have the proper technology to test trace evidence or DNA, and the case went cold. They also weren't able to determine what caliber the murder weapon would have been because the bullet or bullets fragmented too much. However, there were no shell casings found at the scene, so it is possible the killer used a revolver. Another interesting piece of potential evidence turned up at the scene a few weeks after Dexter's body was discovered. Someone wrote graffiti in the bathroom of the rest stop that said, Hot Jock Shot Wad from Wisconsin, 1185, next to the date, Saturday the 3rd. So this is a really interesting clue to me, and it is really strange graffiti. Hot Jock Shot Wad from Wisconsin. Right. Um, and it leads to the most popular theory on the internet right now, a lot of people interpret the graffiti to mean that Dexter may have been at the rest stop trying to meet someone for a surreptitious gay sex tryst. Uh, and then the theory goes that the killer may have freaked out due to some kind of homophobia or panic. Right. When I spoke to Sheriff Kanan, I did get to ask him about this theory. I know there was a couple of theories that were thrown out in on the Internet. Maybe the possibility yep. of... A gay love connection gone bad? Is that something maybe you guys look into? That was one of the theories. Um, heard that one too. Just don't know how that would fit in, you know. Um, I think something about that graffiti found in the bathroom was that was, was why that theory happened. But I have no evidence that he was homosexual or bisexual right. or anything. I don't. I, I don't know. I've heard that too. Now, like Sheriff Kanan said, we haven't seen any evidence to indicate anything about Dexter's sexuality, so I really don't think we can speculate too much there. I mean, 
we can assume he may have been pretty lonely since his wife of many years had just died. Mm -hmm. And there are certainly real-life cases of men having sex with men in public restrooms anonymously. Uh, Larry Craig comes to mind. Uh, And also real-life cases where queer people have been beaten and killed for their sexuality. Either way, I personally think someone from Glendive seems like a most likely suspect for this killing because Dexter's body was found at a local dump about 17 miles away from the rest stop. Now, that doesn't seem like something a stranger passing through would just know how to find on short notice. Well, you know, according to Sheriff Kanan, you aren't the only one who thinks that. What added to that is his body was found in a local landfill that you can't see from the road very well. So that's kind of why rumors of someone local did it who knew the area. That's great. So, Blake, in talking to the sheriff, you had learned about some intriguing suspects named in the actual investigative documents. Now, that includes a local starting some interesting rumors, right? Yeah, so just a few years after Dexter's death, authorities considered a potential suspect named Douglas Turner. Turner's life story is really brutal and awful. Turner was a troubled teenager living in Glendive in the mid-1980s, By age 16, he had been arrested for several juvenile offenses and had to go through an alcohol treatment program. In November 1987, he had just been released from the rehab program. After he was released, one night he got drunk at a party and went home around midnight. He grabbed his 30-30 rifle, went over to a neighbor's house, and shot and killed three adults. Two young boys were also in the house about eight years old at the time. They heard the gunshots, ran into the kitchen, and they found Turner. Turner's gun misfired, so he beat the boys with the butt end of the rifle. Luckily, the boys escaped alive. Police arrested Turner at the scene. He was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. But going to prison for the rest of his life did not stop Douglas Turner. Turner killed even more people on the inside. Yeah. He was involved in those riots in 91. Remember the the prison in Deer Lodge had a riot, like I think in 91, he was Right. Yeah, and uh, convicted of killing five or six other inmates at the time? I think so, yeah. Right. Yeah, he was a violent kid. In 1990, Turner beat a man to death in prison, and in 1991, he helped murder five other inmates during the Deer Lodge prison riot. Turner was convicted of those crimes and received the death sentence in 1992. So Turner uh, has become a potential suspect just because he's from Glendive, lives in the area, and killed multiple people. Did this theory come about before the murders that he committed, or was that only after? No, it was after just someone who's a local um, that was capable of doing violent acts is kind of why his name came up. Because shortly thereafter, he killed that family randomly went into a house with a deer rifle and killed three people. That's what put him in prison. That was in 87 he did that. So this murder happened in 85. So two years later, he killed that family. Yeah, so he would have only been, what, 14 at the time? Yeah, right, right. And Plus, you know, in that report, I talked with the youth probation officer there, and he said he checked, he thought he was up in a treatment center in Haver around that time, so... That's kind of why he was ruled out, his age. And then it wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense with this pickup. Yeah, uh, that's such a, a good question that you asked uh, the sheriff there, Blake. Um, now, like Sheriff Kanan said, Turner would have been about 14 years old when someone killed Dexter Stefanik. 
even if he also did kill Dexter, we may never know, and we certainly cannot ask him. Um, Turner actually killed himself in prison in 2003. Well, investigators did have another theory. Uh, their investigative documents say Dexter may have been trying to marry a 34-year-old woman back home in Wisconsin named Amy. He was a widower, and he apparently, um, during this time, his son David was telling us he was kind of interested in this gal who, I don't know if she was a neighbor or exactly how they, and she was like, but their age difference was quite, probably 30-plus. Right. And uh, she was, a, I believe, a divorcee. Um, so in there, you know, when I talked to Jim George, who was the sheriff at the time, he said he, you know, and, you know, a lot of these homicides, you know, it's always, you know, most homicides in America are done by somebody you know. Right. You know, stranger on stranger are rare, and they're the hardest to solve. But so... No, I think I, when I talked to Jim George at that point, he said, yeah, he called back. He was on the phone a lot to the local police department where Dexter was from. And apparently he looked into that and somehow ruled it out. So I never really revisited it other than that guy died like seven years later. This okay. ex-husband of this Jamie. Sheriff Kanan says his office still periodically revisits the case as new technology becomes available. But he says the biggest break to this case would be to identify who the Chevy truck belonged to. If that pickup is still being driven, which is highly unlikely, but you never know. It could be, you know, sitting in someone's backyard. Um, but it hasn't been registered for like over 20 years, then it's going to just automatically purged by the database. Now, let me tell you something. As I was going over the updated investigative report from 2012, it was almost overwhelming to see how many numbers Sheriff Kanan went through and just how many avenues he went down to try to identify this truck. With more than two decades already passed by the time Sheriff Kanan took over the case, they brought in a hypnotist to help the two witnesses remember the license plate number from the Chevy. From there, Kanan spoke with manufacturers, Arizona police, Wisconsin police, DMVs, and even hunting officials to try to narrow down the suspects. But he kept running into the same issue. After so many years had passed, he discovered most databases don't keep records going back that far, or they were purged with the switch to digital. I know one thing I know and didn't make the report, I went, I called the, my local game ward and checked in their database, you know, because that was like, general deer hunting season in this part of the state. Oh, right. So I said, hey, did you have any Arizona, um, you know, out-of-state hunting license issued? And uh, he checked their database. But, you know, this was so long ago, a lot of those databases I found out were just, you know, purged or don't go far back, back far enough. But, but uh, I don't think that made it into my report. But I did check into, like, hunting license, some guy hunting in the area. Now, that's not the only issue this case has run into since it was reopened. Sheriff Kanan was hoping to dig up old evidence and submit it to testing with technology advancements in things like trace evidence and TNA. While he was able to track down the clothes that were scattered around Dexter's body in the landfill, it appears as if the clothes Dexter was actually found wearing at the time of his death are nowhere to be found. 
Now, it's unclear whether the sheriff's office somehow lost those in an evidence purge uh, or someone just misplaced a box in that office. I have pictures of the clothes that he was wearing when he died, but I cannot find the clothes themselves. It's funny, though, you know, nowadays if this was to happen, we'd pull surveillance video and cell phone data and, and uh, automated receipts and credit card information, but back then... Everyone used cash. There wasn't a lot of video surveillance, obviously not cell phones. <laughs> a little different world back then. Right, not a whole lot of paper trails. Yeah, exactly. When I was talking with Sheriff Kanan about this case, you know, I I felt like it's it's been a real passion project for him. Like It's something that he's put a lot of time and effort into and... Um, it's something that he, he really feels strongly about. I would love to tell him, hey, you know, we solved it. However, the guy that's responsible died five years ago in a nursing home, but, you know, I came and, and that's what, I don't care about charging anybody at this point, but just for closure for the family. And, you know, I was a junior in high school when this happened, so I wasn't even a cop then, so... But I just kind of took it upon myself. I was a senior deputy at the time. So, you know, I'm going to take another look at this. I think it was in the winter. I had more time to be on the phone and stuff. So I, the sheriff at the time let me run with it. But I kind of lost ideas on where to go next. It's about closure more than charging someone with the crime. But, I mean, I do both. But, <laughs> I mean, I'm also a realist, so... Now, I did get the chance to ask him about any other theories he might have about what happened that day back in 1985 and why someone could do something like this. I think it was a thrill kill. I think this person's killed before, and it's probably some type of serial killer that came through. And every time I read in the paper about some serial uh, killer confesses to killing, you know, 15 people in nine states, I, I perk up and could be my guy you just never know but if I could somehow show that that serial killer was in that blue pickup with the topper on it um that would for me to conclude this blue topper Chevy pickup that with Arizona plates I believe that to be if I can identify that Chevy pickup and who had access to it at that time that I could really So this is where you, the listener, come in. Uh, The white Chevrolet pickup driven by the potential suspect in Dexter Stefanik's death in 1985 is described as possibly a Chevy Blazer, or it may have been a 4x4 with some kind of camper shell or topper with a blue stripe down the side. Uh, Now we do have a picture of this on our website, we have a picture of this on our Facebook, um, and it was believed that this was a Chevy Blazer with Arizona plates driven by a clean-shaven man with a light complexion who would have been about six feet tall. And we have a police sketch of that vehicle on our website, and we also have some other images of Dexter and of his car, the burned-out Plymouth. That's also on our website. That's abcfoxmontana.com, all spelled out. Again, that's abcfoxmontana.com. Now, if you know who may have been driving this vehicle in the mid-1980s or if this rings any kind of bell, you're asked to please call the Dawson County Sheriff's Office at 406 377-5291.
Thank you for listening to Montana Murder Mysteries, a new podcast brought to you by ABC Fox Montana. You can send us your tips and comments through our Facebook page and find out more about the cases we're exploring by checking our website, abcfoxmontana.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.